the most common thing I get asked about is how do I lose weight or what should I eat or what is the best way to eat? And really, you want to ask yourself the question, why do I want to lose the weight? Why do I feel like I need to conform to a certain way of eating? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, 2020 is your year. Have you been dreaming of starting your own podcast? If you have, then this is the year to make it happen. Maybe it's an idea or something that you're really good at or something that you want to learn more about. Our friends Krista and Lindsay from the Almost 30 podcast just released the new Podcast Pro program to help you launch, market, and monetize the podcast of your dreams. Krista and Lindsay started Almost 30 in their closet floor while working full-time jobs in just three years. They turned it into a top-rated podcast with millions and millions of downloads worldwide. They've created such an incredibly supportive community. And in Podcast Pro, they're sharing exactly how they did it and all the secrets they learned along the way. You can sign up now at yourpodcastpro.com to launch your dream podcast. You can also find more information by clicking the info button of this particular podcast and check out the link there. And now back to our show. Hey everyone, I hope that you are all staying safe, taking care of yourself during this time. I am really excited about today's episode. It's with Dr. Rupi Ajula, and we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, but I find it so relative to the state that we're in now. Um, Dr. Rupi is an incredible health practitioner. He used to do general practice. He went through his own health journey, and he is all about creating health with food through being mindful. He has a very, very, very specific philosophy around how we need to nourish ourselves. He loves to help people live healthier and happier lives. He uses food as medicine. And I am so excited to share this interview with you all. Um, I just wanted to check in. It's been a while since I recorded an intro for a podcast interview, and I just wanted to let you all know that I'm here for you. I've been doing daily Instagram lives in the morning, so if you're wanting a little extra support, it's just me and you hanging out. I'm drinking matcha, and you're drinking whatever it is that you're drinking, whatever beverage of of your choice. And I also wanted to let you know that on Monday, March 30th, I will be leading a seven-day detox. Now, this isn't a diet 
detox. A lot of you guys know that I don't, um, I don't like to do anything diet related. I fucking hate diet culture. So, (laughs) and I try not to hate anything, but the detox is really geared towards creating more energy in your life. It's about crowding things out and putting things in as opposed to taking things out. So depending on what you want to let go of, maybe for this coming week, you want to stop drinking alcohol or you want to stop watching the news or you want to get a break uh, off social media, whatever it is that you want to do, join us. It's totally free. You can download the manual. You can actually download it here if you're listening to this on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Go to the info button. There will be a link there so you can download the manual and all you have to do is follow the guidelines and join us on Monday, March 30th at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time so that we can all gather together, support each other, and disconnect from the frequency of fear, chaos, and stress. It's important for us to put our health first, to be able to put our immunity first. And we do that by putting things in our body and in our minds and in our spirit that are going to help make us feel stronger. So with that being said, here is my interview with Dr. Rupi Ajala. I I want to get into the plethora of questions that I have here lined up for you because I really love your ethos around uh, eating and bringing more awareness to the types of food that we're eating. I know that you personally have gone through your own set of health challenges, which is what spawned your sort of passion, so to speak, to uh, the health and wellness arena. And I really love that you approach it from a, a more inclusive way as a, and instead of um, making people feel bad for their choices. And I, I love that you, I don't, I don't know that a lot of people notice that, but I did, you know, watching interviews that you've done or hearing you speak about the different types of food and the different colors of the food. Like there's so much passion around how you talk about health that really speaks to me because it, that's, that resonates to me. It resonates way more than a fad diet or somebody saying like, you know, avocados are bad or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like that yeah. kind of thing. So I, I first want to, uh, you know, you can share with the audience a little bit about what got you to the space that you're in now and what you're most passionate about learning and teaching at the moment. Okay. Cool. Right. I'm going to remember all those things. So I might need a little. I'll remind you. It's fine. You remind me. Yeah. Um, Well, thank you. First of all, that's, that's really lovely of you. Um, My sort of passion, I guess, started, I think it started way before I got ill myself. Um, So when I was growing up, uh, I was really lucky to um, grow up in a household where my mom cooked not only Indian food and had, like a general uh, interest in, in eating and making sure that we ate the rainbow and we ate lots of different cuisines and we had American food, Italian, one of my favorite, favorite dishes. In fact, I put it in my first book um, uh, was uh, garlic chili prawns um, that we would dip a, a fresh French baguette into the oil. And just, I, I, I know and smell and I can, 
exquisitely visualize exactly what that that taste sensation was like so i had like an incredible upbringing when it came to food and we would always be watching food programs as well the pivot for me from moving into appreciating food and then cooking food was when i went to medical school and my mom taught me a couple of recipes um, that i then impressed my medical school friends with one of them was a tiger green curry uh, another one was like a steak sandwich with walnut bread. Um, and people just thought that I was this amazing cook, but I only knew <laughs> how to make like three recipes, uh, which is hilarious now. Um, and then my second pivot was into healthy eating. Um, so during medical school, I experimented with food. I love spices. I, you know, and I'm really glad you picked up on the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, um, I'm not of a particular dietary persuasion. I, I'm inclusive of, of everything. And I think we need to recognize our innate individuality, both from a mental and a physical point of view as well. Um, and the pivot for me when it came to health was uh, when I got ill myself. So I started suffering from atrial fibrillation episodes as a 24-year-old. Um, my first episode was when I was uh, I was actually uh, on a shift and I asked my boss to feel my pulse and my pulse was going like 200 beats per minute. Long story short, I started having these episodes lasting 12 to 36 hours uh, a couple of times a week. Um, and that was the start of my health journey where I would see different cardiologists, medics, interventionists. I'd have all the investigations you can imagine. I was put on drugs. Uh, I was um, going to have something called an ablation procedure, which is where they put a guide onto your heart and they burn an area of uh, cells that may be misfiring. And that was essentially what was uh, thought to be the cause, but no one really knew the root cause, the trigger for all these different things. Um, and again, it was my mum who convinced me to trial the lifestyle approach. Because as a conventionally trained medic, someone fresh out of medical school, I wasn't really thinking about food. I wasn't thinking about lifestyle as a potential trigger. Right. It was like, okay, well, these are my bosses and these are what, this is what they're saying. Right. Potentially the issue. And, and I was just going to go for the procedure. And so after taking a back to basics approach, um, looking at my food, my diet, my mental health, my, um, the way I move my body, um, I was able to overcome my own illness, um, which is, quite fantastical to say um, and really me starting my projects is, is spawned out of trying to retrospectively figure out how on earth this was possible um, yeah. and so yeah that's sort of like my like, well when did that start that was about 10 years ago now <laughs> yeah so and you know one of the things that I, I've heard you talk about was how when you were in the hospital that you were next to somebody that you had been working yeah. on yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. So that. I was, yeah. No, I mean, so yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was doing a shift. It was Sunday. I remember vividly. I'd just been uh, at the nursing station, and then literally within half an hour of me having my pulse taken and a quick ECG, stripped of my clothes, bleep was taken off me, parts in a in a bed. I was right next to this patient I'd been seeing earlier that that morning, and she was like, she was an old lady, bless. And she was super confused. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what, like what? where am I? <laughs> well, so, and, I, and I, I just love that, that the whole thing, the whole 
just I see the metaphorical vision of what you're going through to lead you to this path to be able to educate now and and learn so much about the different types of healthy foods. Mm. I I really akin Hispanic and Latin foods with which is what with what I grew up with to Indian food. I mean, I love Indian food and I'm like, oh, it's very similar. Yeah. Spices and I I really love your approach on making food attractive and making it more about the the beauty of food as opposed to oh, we have to stick to this, I'm doing air quotes, way of eating. And there's so much information out there. And I feel like people are so wrapped up on the external payoff, like how I'm going to look as opposed to how I'm going to feel internally. Yeah. Right. So, so for, for you, like what, what do you see being the biggest roadblock for people that are in that state that they only want to be healthy because of how they want to look on the outside. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's something that I come up against a lot in clinic and on a daily basis and even just conversing with colleagues, friends and 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 patient people who are not my patients but have now come across my work in the public domain. The most common thing I get asked about is how do I lose weight or what should I eat or what is the best way to eat? And really, you want to ask yourself the question, why do I want to lose the weight? Why do I feel like to conform to a certain way of eating to eat the best way? What is really the focus and what is your goal? And my, my suggestion to everyone is actually to focus on wellness and actually feeling as good as you can in yourself rather than uh, an archetypal way of looking or a beach body or whatever, even though, yes, that's exactly what we're all trained and led to believe by an industry that is there to capitalize on our, um, our our poor self-esteem. You actually want to take more control and we can do that with our plates and our lifestyle and our mindset. And I think food along with other lifestyle factors are really the goal of trying to regain that self-confidence and improve our inner well-being because when we look after our inner well-being and our inner ecosystem with food and lifestyle measures that's how we allow health to flourish and uh, my thinking on the matter has changed over the last maybe six or seven years where initially i was just trying to uh, treat my condition um, with food and, and use it as like a, almost like a pill, but actually mm. on retrospect, you know, putting myself in the best environment, which was what allowed me to get better. And that was both mentally, um, physically, as well as what I was putting into my body. So yeah, I, I think, um, it's really common and I don't blame people for thinking this way. Um, but it will be, a mammoth task for all of us to try and get the message out that it's not just about how you look, it's about um, how you feel internally. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think that the minute that you begin to actually feel the effects of that, it, it, it almost takes the experience to understand what we're saying. Yeah. And, and that takes time, right? It, it's like, it takes time for you to change the way that you're eating or add more greens into your diet. It takes a little bit of time for you to actually start. You can't just eat spinach one day and be like, I still feel brain fog, (laughs) you know? So 
what do you, and I know that you just wrote, um, the doctor's kitchen, which is incredible. And I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share that with all the listeners because I think it's an incredible book. Um, but how, how would you say for people that are listening that are perhaps beginning their health journey and they subscribe to this podcast and they're wanting to learn more about health and um, maybe they just picked up the doctor's kitchen, what would you say if, if they're wanting to achieve quick results? Um, so the, the myth of quick results, I think, is something that we all need to sort of put to one side because I think if you're achieving trying to achieve quick results you're not really thinking long term you're thinking short term and if you're thinking short term then it's not sustainable it's not something that you're going to maintain and you're going to yo-yo and you actually what we want in an era of in an era of like you know a constant bombardment with messages and everything is actually some peace and some clarity and some stability rather than going up and down, whether it be our mental health, whether it be our weight, whether it be relationships, etc. So it's not a quick fix book at all. Um, my, my first book can be described as sort of like a, um, a foodie's journey through food as medicine, where I talk about the most fascinating nutritional science, looking at the microbiota, this population of microbes that live in and around our body, largely in our gut, and how we nurture that population. I also talk about nutrigenetics and the ability of us to change the expression of our genes. Um, and I, I talk about, yes, plant predominant diets and, and how what the evidence states the majority of us can benefit from. Not everyone. Everyone has their own nuance. But if I was to uh, collate all the evidence and actually suggest what would be a good starting point for a lot of people, it is something that includes heavily plant-based foods. Um, and the second book, Eat to Be Illness, is where I was distilling those principles and applying it to different parts of the body. So I, the first chapter is about brain health, for example. And I think a lot of people don't really start thinking about brain health until they're much later in mm-hmm. life. Maybe they're over 50 or 60 and they're worried about Alzheimer's or perhaps there's a family history. But really looking after your brain is a lifelong process. Uh, I talk about subjects like neuroplasticity, the incredible ability of your brain to harness new neural connections when given different stimuli, external stimuli. Um, I talk about you know, the evidence base behind mind diets and how we can actually reduce the risk of things like neurodegenerative diseases. And I apply that same thinking to your heart, immune system, skin, even the taboo subject of cancer, which I, I know is a a fantastically controversial chapter and it was the hardest one for me to write about but it was definitely something that i wanted to because there is a huge taboo around nutrition and cancer and i think there is definitely a lot of ways in which we can uh work collaboratively um and uh and yeah so and and, and really after looking at all these principles um they're very much the same when you eat for your brain your heart immune system it's all the same principles of eating A lot of plants, um, quality fats, and eating in time as well. Um, and I talk about like not time restricted feeding, which is general windows of, of when it's preferable to eat. Um, so I think that kind of distills my thinking. But the, the, the thing I loved about the last book was uh, at the end of every chapter, I, I looked at the lifestyle um, components to it. So I talked about um, the evidence base behind uh, meditation, for example, and how that we know that that can help 
uh, conjure up strength and resilience, whether we're talking about brain health or whether we're talking about immune health as well. I talk about the impact of exercise or flow and yoga and um, even the, uh, the cohesion in social groups and how that can foster health itself. Yeah. So it's definitely a cookbook, but there's so much value add to that. And, and it's sort of like, okay, now you know the, the evidence base behind it and here are like hundred odd recipes that could just get you kickstarted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why, and I'm glad you picked up on the fact that I use different spices and stuff like that. The reason why is because I wanted to make this book as culturally diverse and relevant as possible. I'm privileged to work as a, a general practitioner in the uh, National Health Service here in London. I work in A&E and in a typical day, you will see people from all walks of life, poor, rich, uh, different cultural backgrounds, different upbringings, different mental health states, uh, different jobs, everything. It's just so varied and diverse. And the conversation I have with anyone about food is reflective of that as well. And, and hopefully I've painted that picture in the book um and and how i think I can you did i'm like i think you did but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you know i actually love what you what you i want to go back to what you talked about the social component of uh our health our overall health and i really want to speak to that a little bit because i feel like we're so much a product of our environment and perhaps that's the one part of our health journey that we lack to bring attention and awareness to. So what is the first thing you think, or what's the most important thing with regard to our social well-being that you find is the thing that we need to bring more energy and attention to? I think it's um, a, a gratitude for me. I think gratitude is something I've learned over the last four or five years. Um, that permeates through every action in my daily life. So I actually have a reminder on my phone every uh, day at like 8 p.m. to ask myself, what am I grateful for? And I do this gratitude exercise. I used to share it on Instagram where I think of three things that I'm grateful for every single day. And that can be, you know, the wind brushing against my fingers. Today it was the rain, the fact that we actually have rain here and, you know, places where they're having bushfires in, um, uh, Australia where I just was a few weeks ago where they're crying out for rain and most people mm-hmm. here in London will complain about the rain so it's little things like, like little tweaks and um, and once you conjure gratitude you'll realize uh, the uh, social group that you have around you assuming that you have friends that you want to spend time with is so so important and even if it means checking in with them a couple of times a week uh, or just sending a message or just picking up the phone and speaking to them. Um, it's so, so important to have that connection. Ideally, you want to have that physical connection. You want to meet up, you want to do something or just spend some time with the person opposite each other. But actually, you know, in reality, particularly in, you know, someone like LA, for example, we have to drive everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's really unrealistic sometimes to actually make time for people. But, but actually fostering that connection that you have and being part of a social group is so, so important. It's actually how we've evolved to live. You know, we've evolved as human beings to be part of tribes. Um, and unfortunately, living further and more isolated lifestyles, it's, it's being gradually eradicated. So I think that from a, from a social point of view um, is super important. I, I talk about... Um, this concept of uh, psychogenic environments in 
the chapter on mood on the last book. Um, and the whole chapter is about, you know, mood food and, and the microbiota and how that communicates with our brain and the gut brain axis and different diets that are shown to improve mental health symptoms in the small cohort of patients. Then the lifestyle 360 section is where I talk about other elements. And I, and I talk about how our environment, our urbanized environments, uh, have actually been shown Uh, negative for our, our mental well-being. Um, lows our IQ. Can you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ruby. Um, we just we had a little cut right then. Oh no. So can you just repeat? Start from where you said that our environment. And then oh yeah. So yeah. So so our environment. Um, I described as uh, a psychogenic. So and psychogenic being you know one that uh, predisposes us to mental health issues everyone's heard of the obesogenic environment, but the psychogenic environment is one where, um, you know, we have isolated lifestyles. We're increasingly reliant on machines and we lack the uh, connection with loved ones and friends. And we, we don't have that sort of normal social bonding. And we're not, we're not evolved to, to live like that as animals and, and, um, and human beings. So um, I think it's something to be quite aware of. Uh, there's two sides of the coin. I think people can become quite scared about how oh, I live in a city and I'm going to, you know, yeah. but, but actually, you know, once we understand our evolutionary design, we can start introducing little hacks into our lifestyles that mitigate against those. Yeah. Because I, it's so easy to isolate, especially now when we have a device of technology where we think we're connecting, Yeah, but we're not, we need the, the, energetic connection of actually being in the presence of other people. So I a hundred percent agree with that. And I actually want to take that into the kitchen, so to speak, to talk about the tactile experience of working with food and actually cooking. And, and it's the same energetic frequency, I think. So can you speak to that a little bit as well? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, um, well, we're becoming more and more right on sort of convenience foods and wanting to do everything fast and all that kind of stuff. And, and whilst I understand that, um, for me, even if there was uh, a robot that could chop up all the ingredients and then cook it and then have it delivered to me and like, you know, I just eat it and it's nutritionally balanced and it's perfect and it's according to my genomics and everything. There is something about the connection with food when you grab a knife or a peeler or you slowly stir a risotto or you know you're crumbling vegetables into a stock or whatever that is mindfulness in itself um i i talk about this concept in the first uh, book of mindful cooking of actually looking at your kitchen or the time spent when you're cooking as meditation i certainly i certainly do uh, at the end of a busy day i think it's a pleasure Mm -hmm. to to be able to cook for myself and actually have ingredients and all the rest of it um, and i think it's about reframing our mindset from food and preparation of food being a chore to one where it's actually where you get to lose yourself and you can listen to music or you could listen to a podcast or even just enjoy i mean i like this you enjoy the the raw physical feel of food as you're cooking it and listening to it and smelling and engaging all those different senses because if you think about food in the process of cooking it's one of those activities that ignites everything your coordination your timing uh, your your actual physical senses as well and that is very very stimulating we know that the more that we stimulate our neurons the better our, our brain health the better it is for our mental health as well 
So being more attuned into this beautiful process and the art of cooking, I think is something that um, more people should appreciate. And whether we decide to call it, you know, energy or balance or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I think it's just a wonderful experience that people should um, uh, take part on and, and, uh, and enjoy as well. Just yeah. Really get it lost into it. Yeah. I love, I love cooking. I really, I just enjoy it. Like that was one of the main reasons why I'm like, who is this doctor? This is great. I'm like, this is, and the more and more I started to just learn about you and hear interviews that you've done and just read your book. Like I was like, this is, he's my spirit animal. Like this is the same, this is the same thing. I, I love cooking so much. And it's because of all of those things that you just mentioned, the sort of mindful approach to having a sensory experience. But the main thing I think for me is disconnecting to the devices Mm, and i like to make things at the same time you know there's a couple of recipes that you have that like requires a couple of things be made simultaneously so i'm like okay like i gotta chop this up here i gotta spice this i gotta add this here i gotta watch this simmer i gotta make the sauce like and and to me it's it's just so nice to be able to put energy like energy or awareness back into my body back into my senses and you know, it's, again, I find it difficult for the people that maybe think that they're not good cooks or that they don't have the time. This is the biggest uh, obstacle that I hear people talk about when they say, I don't have time to cook. I need short recipes. I, and I'm like, but we, we, everybody has the same amount of time in the day, you know? So, so that's my thinking. It's just prioritizing how you want to spend your time. I, I, I did that thing on, on my phone where it tells you, it calculates all your screen time, like where you yeah. spend your time. Yeah. And when I first did it, I was like, man, I spend way too much time on social media. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like way too much. And then you start to really break things down. I think if you reprioritize how you spend your time and the payoff the payoff of social media sometimes isn't great. It doesn't necessarily always leave you feeling like uplifted and good. Not mm. always. I'm sure some, sometimes yes, but I feel like things that guarantee you feeling good are all the things that you just mentioned. What, what's your yeah. opinion on that? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's a common thing that I get called up on with, um, with people is that, you know, I want shorter recipes. I want to spend less time in the kitchen I want to make sure everything is good for me. I want to make sure it's got the right ingredient, like the right amount. I purposely don't put things like calories or macronutrient balance in my recipes because I, overall, I don't think it's important. Um, unless you're on a specific therapeutic diet where you warrant uh, counting things like calories and, and macronutrient balance, uh, I don't think it's actually worth the mental effort and actually you'd gain more from the, the meal and the recipe by being more engaged in the cooking process and the eating process as well. And actually seeing that as a form of mindfulness. Um, I also think uh, for some people to engage them, and I'm thinking of my, some of my male friends as well um, who are very time poor and they, they're the kind of people that wouldn't engage typically with the recipes that I have, but they have because they know it's healthy for them. And I've actually done a lot of the homework for them, but to engage them, sometimes you do need to 
um, reduce everything down, reduce the friction between someone picking up a pot and then deciding to cook because a lot of people just don't cook and they don't have the awareness or the intuition about like, as me and you do with regard to the importance of food and actually how it can be a, a, a benefit to your daily life rather than a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for those types of people, uh, I think uh, it's kind of like my responsibility in the doctor's kitchen going forward in 2020 to try and entice them with food that is minimal prep, but maximum in terms of flavor, um, improve the accessibility of it and actually reduce the process. So actually coax them in. And if you start people slow, then they will carry on. They'll generally conjure up more and more habits that will last a lifetime. It's almost like, you know, going to the gym for the first time, you're not going to be doing an hour session three times a week. Um, but if you start slow, then you'll build up those general habits. And I, and I think that's how everyone starts, I guess, in the kitchen. Um, and then it becomes like natural. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I, I hope that, you know, we continue to put as much of this awareness into how we spend our time and what we spend our time doing. I think it's yeah. absolutely so, so beneficial for our health. I want to ask you just one other thing with regard to the umbrella of overall wellness. I want to, I want to ask you about uh, getting the right amount of rest and uh-huh. sleep because I know that you are a big proponent of getting a good rest. So I, I feel like part of what ails a lot of people, especially in the West, is this overly stressed, overly stimulated society where we're having the most difficult time falling asleep and getting enough rest. And as a doctor, I'm sure you can speak to how that affects our overall body, our well-being. So I I just want to ask you, like, what are some really great things that we can do to improve our resting hygiene or our sleeping rituals and, and how not having the right amount of rest affects us? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's become a lot more, um, uh, I think a lot more people are becoming aware of the poor sleep. Um, And it's almost like it can be a motivating factor and also a stress inducing factor, particularly in the era where we're all tracking our sleep and, you know, we're realizing, oh my God, I only had like five hours last night. Am I going to die? Am I going to have dementia? I'm going to have, because all we know, we know all this information now about <laughs> poor sleep, the community of poor sleep. Right. And I can reel off like all the issues that makes us more likely to have type 2 diabetes, much more likely to be associated with mental health issues. Yes, Alzheimer's and the other dementias, vascular disease. The next day, you're more likely to crave foods, particularly the sugary salt um, laden ones. So you're more likely to have overconsumption of calories. Um, there's a whole bunch of stats as well about the, the degree to uh, uh, how bad poor sleep can be over the long run. And as a, as a shift worker myself, someone who has commonly disrupted sleep, combining that with my travel schedule as well, I'm definitely at risk for all these different things. And there is no way to properly mitigate against them either um, with better lifestyle practices, not that the evidence shows. And uh, I feel like a bit of imposter syndrome trying to give some tips as to improve your sleep because I, this is definitely one of the things I struggle with. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm right there with, that's why I'm asking you. It's purely a selfish question. I get it. Yeah. 
definitely. Um, because it's it's almost one of those things that are kind of outside the locus of your control. Like you can get up and you can go to the gym. You can uh, put a timer onto your phone and, and do 10 minutes of meditation every day. You can cook food and you can mitigate against the eventuality that you're going to be out of your environment and you can choose healthy items. Sleep is something that you have to conjure the right environment for and just hope it's going to happen. Um, and just try and like go into like the flow state and just let it happen. Right. It's one right. of those things that you can't just be like, Oh, I can just click my fingers and I'll, I'll be sleeping. It's not yeah. like you can do it. Right. So there are a few hacks that I certainly have um, done. One of the things is quitting caffeine in total. So I'm a prolific coffee drinker. I used to be. Um, actually, I wouldn't say prolific because I don't really drink as much as a lot of other people. So I would, I would have around one to two cups per day. But for someone who is a slow metabolizer of caffeine, as I know I am, that's a lot because it will take me over eight hours um, to achieve a half-life for the caffeine. So the caffeine will stay into your system and it will take eight hours for that amount of caffeine to reduce by half. So if I have a cup of coffee at 12 p.m., I will have half of that coffee in my system at 8 p.m. And you don't know anyone, well, I, I mean, a lot, I know a lot of people actually who shouldn't do this, but having a coffee at 8 p.m. when you're just about to go to bed or you're preparing sleep is definitely the wrong thing to do. So for some of me, having so much caffeine was, was the wrong thing. So I've actually reduced that and I've massively improved my, my own sleep habits. Um, turning off digital devices at least two to three hours before bed. And that sounds like a lot, particularly if most people get home at six and they're going to go to bed at like 10. That means they're going to have to put their electronics away by like 6.30, 7. And that's just not like feasible for a lot of people. Like Netflix would hate me saying this. <laughs> uh, social media companies would hate me saying this as well. But unfortunately, it's the reality of our situation. Um, and uh, meditation uh, for at least five minutes before has um, definitely helped me um, put myself in a calmer state. My gratitude journal has been game-changing for me, actually. So putting myself in a positive mood before I go to bed rather than the anxieties, the worries that can spin around your head. You know, like the last thing I say to myself before I go to bed is my gratitude. And it's, it's great. It's honestly, it's awesome because it just makes you feel at peace with the world and everything's fine. Um, and there are some biohacky tips as well. Cold showers, um, amber glasses to reduce the light from your, your general household light bulbs. Um, there's a few uh, supplements as well that people take. Um, I'm not a fan of melatonin, um, but valerian root uh, is a mm -hmm. common herbal medication. Um, it does make some people feel a bit groggy the next day. And for that reason, I don't recommend it as a, as a rule of thumb to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly helped a lot of people. I'm curious. Uh, why the mel? I, I agree. Melatonin's never. I've never really liked it, and I I actually know of a couple of people who take it all the time, and I feel like it's not help. They also struggle with a lot of, um, uh, like hormonal imbalances and things like this. So I'm like, I just don't know that it's a good supplement to be taking all the time. But I'm I'm curious as to why the mel why you don't necessarily are on board with the melatonin. Yeah, so I actually used to take melatonin uh, when I was working in Australia and I was doing shift work in A&E and it would definitely help me for that 
but the doses that I was taking were so low. It was like 0.5 to one milligram. And the doses that you find in America are like three, five and 10 and you don't need a prescription for it. Um, the re- I don't think it's, it's definitely not addictive, but I'm, I, I'm not clear on the potential negative health effects mm. of taking exogenous melatonin. Most people think, oh, it's a natural hormone. You endogenously produce it. It doesn't have a negative feedback mechanism, so it's fine to take. Well, testosterone is a normal hormone that we naturally produce. It doesn't mean that you should be injecting it. I know it's a completely different type of hormone, but still the same analogy applies. Yeah. I think once we become reliant on external medications or supplements or whatever you want to call them, I think you're kind of losing the battle. I agree as a last resort, it can be useful, but I think most people are trying to medicate themselves yeah. for lifestyle choices. Yeah. Have you ever practiced yoga nidra before? No, tell me about it. Oh, yoga nidra is, it's incredible. I mean, I, I teach it and I practice it, but that, that for me has been such a huge lifesaver, especially because I travel all the time too. And I'm going into different time zones and I'm coming back and then I'm like, kind of going all over the place and it really destroy. I have to do some biohacking myself. Um, <laughs> but yoga nidra is, nidra means sleep. So it's yogic sleep. And it's, uh, in a sense, you can think about it in like a shavasana, a guided meditation, but it's, it keeps you in a relaxed, aware, present state. Mm. And it's all body sensory. So it takes you, the di- there's different kinds of yoga nidra. There's yoga nidra for transformation for sankalpa, you know, to set a powerful intention, yoga nidra for sleep, yoga nidra for healing. And it it is such a powerful practice. And obviously anybody can do it. I do it on the airplane. Sometimes I'll play it in my ears. And it's just a really great way to begin to relax your body, to focus your mind, but it operates in the same brain frequency as, uh, like transcendental meditation. So it really takes you into a deep state. And the yogis believed that this was also one of the uh, conduits to enlightenment. So it was like, do this, you know, do the eight limbs of yoga or, you know, go be of service or yoga nidra, right? So it is a, it's a great practice. I will, I can send you some. Please do. Yeah. I was going to suggest that. Do send that to me. I'd love to try it out. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're on the airplane, you know, or or if you're having a hard time falling asleep, like just listening to it's about 20 minutes. So apparently I didn't know this for the longest time until my teacher told me that I wasn't supposed to fall asleep. So (laughs) I went to this, I went to this yoga nidra training and everybody's talking about, oh yeah, the part of where there's the cave of the heart and you're going and I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm like, this is like five years in of me doing this practice because the minute that I would hear my teacher's voice, I would right away fall asleep i would just i would hear and i'm like oh just sleep time yeah yes it's a whole process but anyway it sounds like it works yeah (laughs) i mean hey it it totally did it worked it's magic but now i i fell in love with it so much and i've been studying it for the last about five years and now i i it's the majority of what i like to teach because it's just i i've seen the the transformation and people, you know, and I work with a lot of Afghan vets that have a lot of trauma. And so just to be able to see people come out of a yoga nidra session and feel so relieved and just so nourished is incredible. 
yeah, I would definitely, definitely try that. And I, I'm, I, I love these types of practices because I think, you know, um, everyone has their, their chosen part, their chosen sort of treatment. And I think anything that reduces our reliance on external supplements or medications is definitely a win. Um, and I, like, I'm a firm believer in the power of movement of yoga of meditation, different meditation techniques. I think it's just about finding which one it speaks to you. Um, I've tried different meditation, um, the guided meditations, breath work. Um, in all honesty, I use all of them whenever I'm feeling a certain way. Like if I'm feeling a bit scatterbrained, I might try guided meditation every now and then. Um, and when I'm like, you know, when I'm at peace and, and I feel great and I just want some, some time to refresh myself, then I'll do one that's just focused on my breath or focused on sound or, you know, so I think it's really important to find what works for you and experiment and actually just be as open-minded as possible. Yeah. I love that. Dr. Rupi, you're the best. I just wanted to call you Dr. Rupi. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much. I, I do want to be respectful of your time. And I just, I have one final question, but before I ask that question, uh, for the people that are listening to this podcast, where can they reach out to you? Where can they get more information and where can they go buy the book? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, the doctor's kitchen.com is my website and you have all my links there to like Facebook, Instagram, the newsletter delivers, uh, two science-based recipes every week. So I think that's a really good resource for people who are looking to experiment with different food ingredients. Um, and my podcast is the doctor's kitchen, um, as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, we've got some really good plans this year. We, we want to try and going back to like, you know, what we're talking about in terms of accessibility, we're trying to create a digital platform where um, we do your shopping essentially. Um, and every week you'll get recipes that will keep it fresh and give variety and improve your health. And, you know, we, we guide you through this whole understanding of, of the power of food and how that connects all the different lifestyle measures. Um, so yeah, so the first people to find out, but that will be on the newsletter. Oh, wow. Great. Okay. So everybody get on the newsletter, be the first to know. Uh, and all of those links that he just mentioned will be on the show notes of this particular podcast. So if you hit the info button on the podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, if you go down to the description section, all of the links that he just mentioned will be there as well as a direct link to where to get all of his books and where to listen to his podcast. Okay. That being said, I have one final question for you. Yeah. And I ask all of my guests this question and it has to do with why I created this podcast. And the whole idea was to create a space where people can go to, to get inspired or to learn more about healthy lifestyle or creating ritual. And it's this idea that we are all radically loved and radically supported by God source, whatever higher power of your understanding baby Buddha, baby Krishna, baby Jesus, whatever it is, that we are radically loved and supported. So the final question for you is, how do you feel radically loved? How do I feel radically loved? It's a really good question. Um, and I think it's something that I conjured a more of appreciation over the last 10 years. Um, 
by reminding myself of my gratitude exercise. Um, and it reaffirms for me this sort of, sort of like belief that um, the universe is one cosmic understanding. It's one uh, universal thought, entity, being, call it what you may, um, that is fluid and dynamic. It's not controlling. Um, it's, it's forever changing. Um, and it, it can manifest in your thoughts as well. So I think a lot of people like to quote the law of attraction and stuff. And I think those are just vehicles for getting you to understand the magnitude of the universe as well as the minusculeness of it as well. Um, you can find the power of the universe in a thought, in a conversation, in an apple, in a beautiful, delicious plate of food, a sound, a, a song, you know, and I think um, me having conjured up gratitude for everything around me and my environment uh, has given me a deeper understanding of the oneness of everything. Um, and yeah, I think once, and I'm still in the process of, of going through that, but once you get to that point, um, you do feel radically loved. You do feel very content and peace. And I, I guess so that's the journey that I'm on and I continue to be on and I, I will be on the rest of my life, I reckon. Uh, just trying to conjure up a greater understanding and, and feeling content and peace with everything. Wow. I love that. That was so great. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for number one, putting all of this incredible work out into the world for us to continue to learn, to uh, feel supported in our journey to health. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being a part of our community and for doing this podcast. We're so grateful. We hope that you come back again and share the next book or the next project that you're doing because we really would love to support you and to hear you again. Appreciate that. Of course, anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you.